0: Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's attorneys general. Attorneys general have a unique role as defenders of the public interest and often work collectively on nonpartisan issues that have a wide impact on people's daily lives. In our second season, we've invited attorneys general from different political parties to discuss how they work together in a bipartisan way to serve their constituents and protect the rule of law. My name is Allison Gilmore, and I'm Chief Communications Officer at the National Association of Attorneys General. In this episode, we welcome South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson and Virginia Attorney General Mark Herring. Generals Wilson and Herring share insights on how they and other attorneys general serve military and veterans communities in their states. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, We're we're really glad to have you on this episode of the podcast. What we thought we'd talk about a little bit today was how attorneys general serve the military community and veterans. And I know that's something that's very important to both of you and you also both serve as co-chairs of um, the NAG Veterans Affairs Committee. So if it's okay, I'd like to just talk a little bit about the importance of the military population in both of your states, since I know you both have very large active duty military and veteran communities. Maybe, um, General Wilson, we'll start with you. Can you talk about the importance of that military presence in your state and how you support service members, veterans, and their families?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Well, first, you know, I live 20 minutes from one of the largest, if not the largest, training installation in the U.S. Army uh, at Fort Jackson here in Columbia, South Carolina. And, of course, we have a number of military installations around the state of South Carolina, our national uh, active duty installations, rather. And uh, our National Guard is 10,000 strong. So we have a very robust military population. When you look at South Carolina, we are ranked uh, 10th in the nation in the number of veterans that currently live in our state, probably just under 400,000. And we're ranked eighth in the number of active duty uh, military personnel that actually live in South Carolina. So we're a top 10 state in either category, whether veterans or active military. And so, and, and as a, as a, you know, as a person who's currently actively serving in our National Guard and as a former active duty military member, um, this is something that is very near and dear to my heart and I'm incredibly honored to serve with General Herring on addressing issues that come up that deal with veterans and active military in our respective states because, um, you know, as, as a member myself and as someone who represents such a large, robust population, I think it's important that we all work together in a bipartisan fashion to serve those communities. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you for your service, first of all. Um, (laughs) General Herring, to you, I mean, Virginia also just a a huge military presence. What does that mean for you and the services your office provides?
2: Well, we in Virginia are so proud of our connection to veteran and military families. We are home to 27 military bases, including the largest naval base in the world. We're home to the Pentagon. Um, About 800,000 veterans call Virginia home. So when you add in active duty and, uh, it just it, it just means that we are a state that really values our uh, veteran and military families and, and community, um, and it's also one that I am committed personally to serving. Uh, we're dedicated to serving them in so many different ways, and I'm looking forward to, to you know, talking about some of them today, but things like um, being a part of the Virginia Values Veterans Program to help uh, training and Um, We started our our first uh, pro bono uh, veterans' legal clinics to help veterans with their important legal documents, including wills and powers of attorney. Um, we, We created a legal resource guide for Virginia military families because they have some really unique needs, and it just underscores how important the veteran and military community is in Virginia, how much we value their sacrifice and want to help meet the needs of them and their families, And uh, as General Wilson said, it's been great to work together. We've co-chaired this committee uh, in years past. It's great to be back co-chairing with him again, and I look forward to continuing that work and that partnership.
0: That's wonderful. So, um, General Wilson, can you talk a little bit about some of the most common legal services that uh, veterans and military families need and and what your office provides them?
1: Well, absolutely. And and Mark was touching on a couple of things I was going to talk about. So he did a great job teeing me up. First off, um, I'm currently a colonel in the National Guard, and I I work for National Guard Bureau, which is located in in Mark's backyard right there at the Pentagon, uh, near the Pentagon. And so I I will actually be in Mark's jurisdiction quite a bit in his home state, the Commonwealth of Virginia. Um, And so because of my affiliation with the National Guard and my service um, overseas, um, I've really seen firsthand the need for states to support those populations. A couple of years ago, we initiated a a program. We call it the VALOR program. VALOR stands for Veterans uh, Active-Reserve Legal Outreach. Um, And and basically, it's to address, you know, when you have someone who is an active duty member of the military, regardless of the branch they're in, they're going to have legal services provided to them through their JAG office. But however, when people are out of the military and they're residing in a state, Um, They sometimes fall through the cracks, and one of the things that we can do as as state AGs in representing those constituencies is we can help provide a number of um, services to these families of veterans and, and former members of the military, including their spouses, whether they were active duty or whether they're in the reserve or National Guard component. Uh, some of the things, and Mark mentioned to this just a minute ago, but our Valor program, uh, obviously prior to the pandemic, we were up and running pretty hardcore. We were going around regions of the state of South Carolina on the weekends and putting together clinics where we would work with our South Carolina bar. Uh, we had a number of um, private law firms that were already doing this, but we kind of used them as force multipliers and resource aggregators And we would go to a region of the state. We would use, and the National Guard was partnering with us. We would go into a National Guard armory or to a a Veterans veterans, uh, Affairs um, building. And we would sit there with local, um, sometimes it would be members of my staff. Sometimes it would be members of local law firms. And we would put together a clinic where we could do powers of attorney or wills for uh, re- members, uh, retired people who were used to be in the military. And this is incredibly important because a lot of people, they, you know, when they're in the military, they they probably had someone help them with the power of attorney, or they probably had somebody help them with the will. But, you know, that was, you know, five years, 10, 15, 20 years ago, their kids are now grown, they're, maybe they're divorced, or maybe they are married when they weren't before, and, and their life has changed a lot. And so now they need to be thinking about Um, how to represent those life changes and and they need to update their will. They need a new power of attorney and that can cost hundreds of dollars, depending on how complicated your estate is and and how complicated your financial picture is. And so being able to get private attorneys to go out there and to help these people, you know, produce a six, seven, $800 will, or a $1,000 will at no charge to that that family is something that really just warms my heart and and providing those legal services and working with the local bar in these communities around South Carolina to do that. And so the Valor program is run out of our office. Our director, a guy named Tim Frisbee, has just done an extraordinary job along with Barry Bernstein, who's a retired colonel himself. So I'm really
2: proud of our team. Military families do face some unique legal challenges. Uh, For example, in the area of family law, You know, there are sometimes custody issues that have been resolved while uh, the the members are here, but then if they go on deployment or they're overseas, then the custody arrangements get changed. And there was a time when the returning service member would then have to hire a lawyer, go through the process all over again in court to get custody back. And so we've done a lot in our state laws to help facilitate um, those types of transitions and make it easier for family members to stay connected with their kids when they're away on deployment. Um, And so having that information in those legal resources guide can really help a lot to to smooth out those difficult transitions. Uh, We also have the Line of Duty Act that uh, provides benefits to National Guard and Virginia Defense Force and others on official duty and their beneficiaries if uh, they're killed or disabled while in the line of duty and um so you know some things that general wilson talked about with those pro bono legal clinics about how much peace of mind it can bring to some of our veterans and i remember visiting one of our clinics Um, there was someone who had served um, in vietnam and he had recently been diagnosed with cancer Uh, he had scheduled treatment and he was thinking to himself you know i really need to get my affairs in order and just in case the treatment is not as successful as he was hoping. He read about our uh, legal legal services uh, clinic, pro bono clinic, and he couldn't afford to pay. He showed up and he was so grateful uh, because of that peace of mind. But yet what was ironic about it was uh, the volunteers who were there to help him were the ones who were really just doing this out of gratitude for his service and commitment. And so that peace of mind really uh, you know, means a lot to veterans and it's just a, a really great service to know that our lawyers are willing to volunteer their time to help do that, you know, on, on their vacation time or whenever they're able to squeeze it in.
1: I just want to echo,
2: it is very heartwarming when you can work with
1: the local community to serve that underserved population of veterans because they, they often get forgotten after they finish serving. And, uh, and so this is one way that we can be part of that process. There's one other program I wanted to talk about that is statewide in South Carolina. I don't know if this is where you were going, but I wanted to just throw this out. No, absolutely. And I, th- I think, um, I think uh, you know, this is an area that I was gonna talk about uh, uh, in the next question, but um, there are a lot of people who serve in the military and because of their service, they have service-related issues. It could be PTSD, mental health issues, uh, maybe they're dealing with, they're struggling with some addiction that was brought about by an injury and they got addicted to pain medication or, you know, and of course these problems, whether it's PTSD, the mental health, the addiction, it leads to them getting in trouble, you know, with the law. They, they you know, they they do something that causes them to get into the criminal justice system. But it was a byproduct of a service related injury that led you know, led them down this road. And so we have a veterans treatment court uh system here in South Carolina. It's like a pretrial intervention, or it's like a drug court, as you see in a number of states, but it's geared toward addressing issues that are are directly related to people in the military. And if you were an eligible veteran uh, who had served in the military and you have some type of service-related issue that, you know, addiction or alcohol abuse or mental health, PTSD, whatever, and you have, you know, let's say you've gotten in trouble with the law, it's not a violent offense, obviously, but it's one of those areas of those criminal offenses that is allowed. Then you can go to this diversion program where you you kind of go around the criminal justice system, you get the treatment that you need. you have this obviously submit to random drug test, you go through a program that helps you cope with whatever the issue is, whether it's mental health or addiction. And then when you complete it at the end of the year, uh, then your charges will go away. and you're rehabilitated, you've gotten the treatment that you needed. you're not, you're not you don't you're not branded. You don't have that scarlet letter on your record as, as they say, and you kind of reintroduce yourself back into society. So it's, it's another second chance program for people who find themselves on the, on the business end of the criminal justice system. So that's another program we're really incredibly
2: proud of. And, and General Wilson is exactly right about the importance of addressing those underlying um, issues because unfortunately it is all too common for a veteran or a service member to suffer from mental health disorders um, and psychological trauma when they return from service. And oftentimes that leads to substance use disorder or addiction in ways as they're self-medicating. So it's really important that service members do get the help and treatment that they need and deserve because these are men and women who have put their lives on the line to serve their country to to protect us and their fellow Americans and keep us safe. And they deserve to be taken care of and given the resources to live happy, healthy lives. In Virginia, we have something that's a little bit different, but very similar. Uh, it allows local jurisdictions to establish what we call veterans' dockets. So they're not separate courts, but it's a separate docket. And that those situations can be taken up and tailored to the unique needs of the particular service member to help them uh, address those underlying concerns and help them get back on their feet.
0: That's really great. And I appreciate both of you sharing about that. Do you, I mean, is that something that's common across the other jurisdictions in the country? Or did you have to fight to have those in in your states?
2: Well, I I think there is a growing recognition of the benefits to diversion generally when it involves particularly substance use disorder. Um, That may lead to other types of crimes and there will have to be consequences for those. But if the underlying issues that led to those aren't addressed, then when those consequences are dealt with, the person's going to continue to go back into the same situations that got them there in the first place. And so I think there is a a growing understanding that those types of mental health issues, substance use disorder issues really need to be addressed as a part of overall rehabilitation and helping our community, you know, have, have that strong safety net and help one another. But there is a growing recognition among our colleagues, not just AGs, but I think,
1: you know, uh, various state legislatures are identifying, especially um, as veteran populations grow, the, the op tempo over the last 20 years since the war on terror began, um, you know, you've had a lot more people going through the military and coming out, and, you know, with, with various, uh, you know, injuries or conditions brought about by their service. So, um, yes, I, I would encourage anyone who doesn't have some type of diversion program like that to address mental health and addiction issues. And plus, first off, it's the right thing to do uh, for those who have served and put their, their lives on the line for all of us. But also, if, if you want to be less altruistic, it is incredibly expedient for the, the bandwidth of the criminal justice system to try to divert as many people as possible uh, out of the penal institutions and into a program where you can treat uh, the cause of what's um, putting them in the justice system, as opposed to a symptom, right? So we we don't want to. I mean, putting them in jail, you're really addressing a symptom. I want to go to the root cause of why they got there, treat that, and then once you treat that, you never have to see them in the system again. You've given them another chance, and that's that's what they deserve. Um, and so that that is something I think I think is universally recognized around the country. And I want to con- I want to continue to support these programs.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much. Shifting gears a little bit, um, talking about veterans' benefits. um, Determinations by the VA usually involve a process uh, that became an issue last year. And I know both of you joined a letter with, I think, 42 other attorneys general asking the VA to reverse that decision. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what the issue is there and what your concerns were and, and where it stands now?
1: I think it, there were there were good intentions um, at the Department of, of Veterans Affairs, I, you know. But again, when when a claim is filed on behalf of a veteran, there was a historical rule that allowed 48 hours for any errors to be fixed, and it allows you to address the fixing of those claims before there's a denial of a claim or something like that. But that rule got done away with, um, and it it made it so that you had to go back and address the issue after the claim had been uh, denied. And so this allowed us to fix gay veterans and those applying or submitting claims, um, you know, an opportunity to deal with it within 48 hours if there was an error. And I think, you know, 40 some odd, 42, 44 states, I can't remember the number, but it was an extremely large number of states, all kind of saw this was a simple, simple fix if we just all kind of spoke with one voice. And I think, um, you know, that letter was intended to do, send that message to the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I I think they heard
2: us. Yeah, and the concern was that if you have to try to go back and correct uh, you know, some missing information or something with the claim, it's so much harder to do it after there's been a denial and you have to go through an appeals process. And the thinking was, well, we should try to catch those errors earlier before the final decisions made. And there was legislation introduced last year to reinstate the 48-hour rule. Um, but what I've heard more recently is that the VA is launching a pilot program to run through August, and it's uh and it has the support of the veteran service officers and uh it will increase the number of opportunities that the these veteran service officers have in order to correct information earlier in the process and so that should um hopefully get to uh the issue and if it is successful uh then it would be applied nationwide and i think those who are are involved in the process are cautiously optimistic that this could be a good way to address it.
0: Great. Well, thanks for touching on that issue. I know it was something that, I think it was 42 attorneys general, so that's broad bipartisan support for something that hopefully will be now addressed by this this new pilot program. Um, Shifting gears again, I'd love to talk a little bit about consumer protection, which is an area that all attorneys general focus on, um, but specifically, service members often are young and don't have a lot of experience managing their own personal finances. It's it ripe for being targeted, um, you know, by bad actors. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what your offices do to work with service members to protect them and their families from scams and and just you know shady businesses that might want to take advantage of them. Uh, General Herring, do you want to jump in there?
2: Sure. And first, let me just say. Um, Anyone out there, scammers or, or people who would commit financial fraud and would specifically target uh, veterans or military service members and their families um, is absolutely reprehensible. These are people who are out there defending our country and keeping us safe. Um, but unfortunately, it does happen. And they're often targeted because they have a steady income. They're often away from home. And so that makes them an attractive target for people who would commit financial fraud and take advantage of them. So we have a very robust consumer protection section that um, has a special focus on trying to protect uh, military service members and their families and veterans. Um, And we have taken some very strong enforcement action in a number of cases. We won one of the largest uh, veterans and, and the largest multi-state settlements that our state has ever led against USA discounters and uh, resulting in about $100 million in debt relief and compensation for veterans and military families. Um, we secured more than $50 million uh, making or for making illegal high-interest loans to more than 1,000 Virginia veterans and retirees in violation of our Consumer Protection Act. But, um, we also do a lot more on the front end to try to help service members and their families and veterans protect themselves from those types of scams. And so we try to put information out as often as we can, help them understand the types of protections, legal protections that they have, whether it's you know the Service Members Civil Relief Act, uh, consumer credit protection for military families. There are our special. Uh, limitations on the amount of interest that certain types of lenders can charge our military service members. Um, So, uh, you know, we've got a lot of protections in the law, and so a lot of what we do is to try to inform service members and their families and veterans about those protections and how they can protect themselves, but uh, we're also going to continue to have a very vigorous and robust consumer protection uh, enforcement effort to make sure that uh, our veterans and, and military service members and their families are protected.
1: Now, I, I would say that, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. That's why I think education is so important, um, trying to help uh, people who are at risk for being defrauded or scammed. You know, usually we talk about our elderly population, older people, but veterans oftentimes fall into this category. And as as you alluded to earlier, younger people um, who are in the military and usually away from their families and kind of, you know, maybe 18, 19 year old private, uh, but what, one of the things we try to do for people who are living in our state is is education. Now we share this responsibility as it relates to charities um, with the Secretary of State's office in South Carolina. You know they, they they're the regulator. Um, for charities in South Carolina. And I would encourage people, first off, if you ever get approached about a a charity um, contact the secretary of state's office, Google South Carolina secretary of state, they have a list of all the reputable charities, the naughty and nice list, you know, especially during the the holiday seasons, those are always published, but um, trust, but verify as they say. Um, And then of course, you know, within the attorney general's office, we have the securities division. I'm the securities. I'm one of four States where the securities commissioner is the attorney general. And, you know we uh, especially during the covid uh, pandemic, you know, when there's a lot of uh, anxiety with people out there and and there's a lot of concern about you know the future and stability of people's finances. and you see a lot of fraud out there, you know, investing these gold bullion coins or you know, invest in this, you know, piece of property and you're trying to prey on people's fears and, and, and exploit those anxieties during this very difficult time for all, all of our citizens, not just those in the military. But we have a criminal division that deals with that. We have the Secretary of State's office. Now, if they need uh, criminal support, uh, prosecutive support, we provide that. Um, but also, I think education is something that we really focused on, not just prosecuting the bad guy for doing a bad thing, but helping the the prospective veteran our service member avoid being defrauded or, or victimized in the first place. So that's that's where we like to focus our efforts, and we do that you know, with with our um, with our Secretary of State here in South Carolina.
0: Thank you. So, General Herring, um, General Wilson mentioned charities. Is that a particular issue that you focus on as well?
2: It is, and and we have done a lot of work in this area. Um, I, and I'll just begin by saying, those who would prey on the kindness and the generosity of Virginians are other Americans who want to help our veterans uh, because they are, because they're kind people. And, and the charities, the fake charities who would prey on those types of, uh, on, on those individuals who want to help veterans uh, is absolutely reprehensible. And uh, unfortunately, we see it and it happens. Um, so I've made it a top priority to identify them and shut them down. Whenever we see charities trying to use uh, the kindness of people who want to help veterans and their military families. And so we have uh, taken aggressive enforcement action. Uh, We were able to get uh, a settlement with a Florida based company that um, uh, was uh, deceptively using sweepstakes mailers and telephone solicitations to help, allegedly to help. Uh, Wounded veterans. But what we found was really most of the money was going to uh, the directors and not really going to the the people who were supposed to help. Um, There there are countless cases like that. Uh, And some of these are large multi-state investigations. We shut one down called Hearts to Heroes, which was a deceptive organization that misused funds that were supposed to benefit service members. Uh, And what they did was make door-to-door sales of care packages. Uh, ostensibly to be sent to overseas service members. Uh, But they really were not doing very much of that. And so we have shut those types of operations down. Um, And so if anyone has concerns or questions, absolutely, they should contact whatever their state's um, structure is, whether whether it's their attorney general that that runs uh, the Deceptive Charities uh, Unit or whether it's a secretary of state Uh, they should contact those. We have a consumer protection unit um, and we're here to serve. And so if anybody has those types of questions or concerns as to whether it's a legitimate charity or not, um, you know, there are are also some some common sense things that people can do. And, you know, the one thing is like like the 24 hour rule, if it's a legitimate uh, charity, they will accept your donation uh, in 24 hours. Take that time to just do a little bit of homework and make sure that the, uh, the charity, the person who is soliciting on behalf of service members or veterans really is going to help them instead of just line their own pockets.
0: And so you both mentioned your offices. So I, I would imagine that every, uh, uh, every attorney general's office has some way for you to reach out and, and report an issue like this. Um, NAG actually offers a website called consumerresources.org. Um, that deals with consumer protection issues. And it also um, has a a section on the page where you can link directly through to your attorney general's office. So if anyone, any of our listeners has, you know, has seen something like this, that's an easy way for them to get directly connected to their own attorney general.
1: And I would say, I would add, Allison, to that is that whether or not the attorney, general, AG's offices vary from state to state in what they do. We're very similar in some ways, but all of us have additional bells and whistles or less bells and whistles depending on the state. But regardless, if you don't know who to call, call your AG's office. They'll get you to the right place in state government to get you the help you need if you feel like you're being defrauded or someone's attempting to defraud you through a charity
2: or something else. And and one reason why it's so important to let your attorney general know about this is Because if you let us know the type of uh, scam or fraud that you suspect, if we look into it and it really is a, a fraud, we're able to put information out and alert the public as much as possible to help prevent people, prevent others from being victimized
0: and i imagine also that you all will work with each other on these types of issues if you discover a charity or any sort of con- scam artist who's working across state borders that that's the benefit of ags working together can you just maybe to close talk a little bit about sort of your relationships with other attorneys general and how that those relationships help you serve your own constituents
1: and i'll start and i'll let my colleague mark herring close if he wants but you know i would just say that you know we live in a world uh, in a political world that is, is you know, hyperpartisan, you, everything that you every time you turn on the the media, you, you see some something that divides people, either among geographic lines or racial lines or political lines. But what I can tell you, and I'm really happy about this, and I'm really proud to serve with Mark Herring, as as co-chair of this committee. But there there are a couple things that really unite all people. I think anything that serves the the you know serves the victims of any type of crime or survivors of crime, and, and especially those that serve in the military. I think there's there's unanimity. There's universal support. And we all can rally around these types of issues. And I really think that, uh, that this is one of the best parts about being AG when you can work with people like Mark Herring and other AGs around the country to collaborate and coordinate on the services that we offer in our respective states. But also, we all turn into, and I like to use the term force multipliers for one another, because like you said, we are, we are a network. Um, kind of like a, a chain link fence to stop criminal activity, not just within our, or defrauding activity, not just within our states, but across all states. And, and the AGs can really work together in that. End. And I think we do relatively a good job. And an, another thing that I enjoy about working you know, through NAG, and in working with my colleagues, is that it's fun to beg, borrow, steal, and rip off great ideas in other offices. Um, you know, and, and it's, it, plagiarism is encouraged among our colleagues because we all approach problems differently and somebody might be dealing with an issue differently than I am, and they might be dealing with it better than I am. And if they are, I want to I borrow that and bring it back to South Carolina. And if I'm doing something like in, in, with a program that serves veterans and they want to rip me off and I say rip, but you know, imitation being a, a true form of flattery, you know, I would be flattered to have someone take the programs and things that we're doing here. I, I feel that General Herring feels the same about his programs, but you know that, that's the great thing is that this organization is an incubator of, of all of us kind of growing great ideas together and, and, and proliferating those ideas across the states and territories.
2: Well, General Wilson is exactly right, and I'm very honored to co-chair uh, this committee with him. Uh, I think uh, attorneys general work really well together um, on so many issues. Occasionally, there's some issues that follow along predictable partisan lines, but so many things that we work on uh, are nonpartisan, bipartisan. Uh, veterans issues is, is one of those, but there's so many others, whether it's in the response to the opioid epidemic or consumer protection more broadly. I mean, we can identify issue af- after issue where we work together. Um, and sometimes uh, we, we divide up the workload so that we're all able to really uh, do a lot to serve the residents of our state. And, and I think that is a tradition that has existed a long time among attorneys general and one that I predict and hope will continue for a long time in the future.
0: Well, I want to thank you both for your time and for ending on that positive, uh, bipartisan message. Thank you for the work that you do with with your fellow attorneys general. We appreciate your time. Thank you you
1: for inviting me. Thank you, Allison, for facilitating. Mark, it's always a a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for what you do for Virginia. Good to be
2: with you too, Alan. Take care.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the nonpartisan work of America's 56 state and territory attorneys general in future episodes. In the meantime, you can learn more at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.